Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome to a very, very special episode. So I'm feeling some mixed emotions here because, Albert, I'm super proud of you. Michelle, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. You, you came in with a purpose. I saw you work your ass off for nine months, and now you've arrived. So what we're going to do in this episode is unpack it. Oh, and look who just showed up. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> no gel going yeah the- yeah just um, just roll out of bed huh <laughs> i did not just roll out of bed actually actually but you it would it'd be hard to believe based on the hair it does not look its best today <laughs> well Hunter, yeah, I mine, back mine either <laughs> okay all right so i don't think mine could even hold gel like it would just <laughs> kind of slide off and mm. hit my shoulders all right, let's let's switch this view. This is a little a little cozy. So, Albert, tell us what's what's going on. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. It's a little um, it's a little overwhelming. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It's uh, I, I've I've had a long time to kind of adjust to not being a marine anymore, which I technically still am for another twenty seven days. Um. But, you know, I've uh, I've gone out, done an internship, and, you know, that was three months of never showing up at work and not putting on a, a military uniform other than onesies and twosies where I had an appointment. And then uh, 
you know, so it was all, all remote, all through the, you know, miracles of technology as we're using here today. So it was kind of a, a, a gradual ease off since April when I, uh, you know, when I handed the keys to the battalion over and, uh, um, and, and started doing more civilian things. So it's not, it's not a complete culture shock. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, with a different company now, it's, uh, for various reasons, I, um, you know, Google wasn't a good option for me for full-time employment. And so I'm, uh, yeah, I, I put myself back out there a few months ago and, um, uh, you know, kept, kept networking and, and followed up on some connections. And, uh, so turns out I have two jobs now, which was not exactly <laughs> the plan, but, but it's going to be a good thing. Awesome. All right. So I think what we should do, well, first we need to acknowledge the chat. I feel bad. So the last live stream. So for those of you who are watching this, I'm live streaming my Tuesday lectures at Greensboro college. And that was um, an interesting test run, you know, earlier this week and that I had a lecture, I had students and I had to live stream. So let's, let's bring in some of our live chatters and Natika. Welcome. Natika. Awesome. Glad you make it. We got Stoney. Sonny, you've become a regular now. You're on like every one of our live streams. Actually, you know who's not here is Matt Bratton. Also, yeah. Robert Robinson. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay. Glad to see Rob Rob made it. Yeah. So, Al, I want you to take me all the way back to the beginning. How did you even find out about the analytics space or industry? Like what, what was the initial kind of nudge to go in this direction? So, I mean, it's always been my interest um, way back to, you know, my first abortive attempt at college was uh, at Ohio University coming straight out of high school. And, uh, you know, I didn't didn't really find my way there and wound up leaving and joining the Marine Corps. But w- one of the things that I really enjoyed before I left, well, I, I loved accounting, which is uh, really? bizarre to my mother, who's a music teacher. <laughs> But um, and my father was a, a studio artist and a social worker. So anyway, but I, I really enjoyed accounting and just kind of the, the plugging in numbers and, you know, there's a right answer to everything. And um, but I really loved the class called product and operations management. And that that sort of stuck with me. It wasn't anything you could major in at the time, but it was it was something that I always remembered. It's like this is a lot of fun. And it was it was like back in the napkin stuff back then. I, I don't know if you could even do like solver functions in Excel. I mean, I was just drawing little grids on, on my notebook paper and, and kind of, you know, writing in some solutions to like a supply chain problem and then erasing them and, and just sort of doing optimizing functions in my head. And uh, I just remember everyone else in the class hated it and I loved it. And I, you know, I just looked like a freak and a nerd uh, by comparison. So um, that always kind of stuck with me. I got into some analytical roles in the Marine Corps. Um, wound up when I when I actually went and finished my degree, it was in economics. So I really liked the analytical stuff, the game theory, and and the uh, you know the algebra and calculus functions that we used to use uh, in in the economic classes. I'm sure you remember. And then um, yeah, and then when it came an opportunity to get a master's degree, there was an analytics option and that's, I went straight for it. And at the time I was looking at it for, you know, it was designed for military applications and that's what I fully intended to stay in the Marine Corps and, and just be an analyst for the Marine Corps. Um, 
it eventually worked out that I came down to North Carolina for this set of orders, finished my degree. Um, and it down here, my kids are all in high school. I wanted to kind of keep them stable for a bit. And, uh, and it just came up that in order to stay here, I was going to have to deploy probably multiple times. Um, I was going to have to be eligible for promotion and command boards that were going to put me in roles that, that could move me and my family again. And it was just, and, and the other thing is I'm, I'm in my forties. And at some point you just say, well, if I'm going to embark on a second career that isn't completely dependent on the military, you know, going to be a K street lobbyist or something like that. Um, I, I need to start now because, you know, age discrimination is a real thing and yeah. people don't want to be hiring entry level candidates that are in their fifties. And it's just, yeah, I think it's especially pronounced in the tech space, right? Yep. So yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and, and even in this day and age where people don't, uh, my grandfather worked for 50 years for one company. Um, and you know, it started out unskilled labor, like delivering newspapers. And eventually he was, uh, when he retired, he was like the, the plant manager for the, the, uh, the printing factory of all the newspapers and magazines. And, um, this is, nobody does that anymore. And, and you'd be foolish to do it at this point. It, it wouldn't make financial sense. You're, you're better off working somewhere for a few years and then kind of evaluating your options and maybe moving. So, um, but even with that, you know, the companies know they're probably not hiring someone for 20 or 30 years, probably, you know, five or tens, most right. likely the best they can hope for. But even then, you know, the, the actuarial tables don't lie. I mean, older people get sick more, they get, you know, need more medical coverage. They, you know, they can die. I mean, you know, when you start hiring people in their, in their fifties, uh, those are things you have to start thinking about as an employer. So yeah, all of those reasons, Hey, th this was the time to retire. Um, kept my family stable and, um, yeah. And now I'm, you know, out with, uh, with a pretty good job too. Pretty good jobs. So Robert's chiming in here. Story of my life, entry level yeah. at 50. Wow. You guys are brave. I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting that you guys are, have made the uh, pivot that kind of late, but I mean, it makes sense in, in the context of, you know, wanting to get out of the, the military. You know what I just realized? So you're in your forties. I'm in my thirties. Hunter's in his twenties. We've got such an interesting yeah. <laughs> age range on here. And Robert's um, in his fifties. Hey, we got, Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's covered. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, so what led you to pursue kind of online education? Because I think what you've done, and I'm going to brag on you here a little bit, you've done an amazing job of networking, persistently building your personal brand, um, and then just making so many connections. Because, I mean, you're, you're having multiple offers right now, right? Or you had. Yeah, yeah, I actually had, a, I would say I had two, I had two firm offers that I turned down. Um, and then, yeah, some other kind of softer, uh, overtures that I didn't pursue, but, um, that's amazing. Yeah. It was, what's that? I said, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I was, well, I was pretty happy. <laughs> it, it was a bit overwhelming because they, you know, the three firm offers that I got all came within, it was like three or four days. I mean, so when we had lunch that one day in Greensboro, um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, like right, uh, right at the start before everyone was there, I jumped up and took a phone call outside. That yeah. was, that was a job offer. Um, <laughs> and it was, 
and it was funny because um, I, I wound up having three companies kind of competing and it, I wouldn't call it a bidding war, but it was, um, you know, I just told them, Hey, I've got this offer for this dollar amount. Uh, and then the next day they would call back and say, we, we'll match that or we'll, you know, we'll top that with a, with a signing bonus or, and so that was the call, you know, it was very, um, I, I hate using the word surreal because people use that inaccurately, but it was, um, yeah, it was a bit unsettling. It was, uh, you know, I had just gotten a, a big offer from another company that wasn't wasn't as good, as big a company or as good a, an opportunity job-wise, but um, they kind of blown me away with the dollar figure. And then, yeah, another company came back, and that was the call I took at lunch, saying, hey, we'll top that and add a signing bonus. I'm like, signing bonus? Like, I feel like I'm a first round draft pick or something, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that much money, but, um, but yeah, it was, that was really cool. And that was, um, I would say probably the only time in my life I'm going to experience that, you know, to that magnitude or you're absolutely and, wrong. I think that it's only going to get more intense from here on out. Like you remember when we had, um, but that's, a, that's the only time I'm going to be like an absolute free agent. Like I'm completely untethered. I have a specific date at which, you know, I'm leaving the Marine Corps, you know, I'm sure I'll get offers going forward, but it's, you know, uh, you know, I've got a job. Um, yeah. Okay. So. I see what you're saying, like having multiple offers, but I th- like what I've yeah. vision for you, especially if, if you stay consistent on LinkedIn, and it sounds like you're already doing that because your your part time job is is a TA position. So I, th- yeah. I think you're going to be involved, kind of out there on the on the social media world. You're going to have inbound opportunities come your way. Because I mean, and that, this is what is so mind blowing to me is that even at an entry level, hiring managers and recruiters are reaching out to people. Because I mean, Hunter, yeah. you've, had, you've had you've had companies pursue you, right? I actually just had. Uh, an area manager from Amazon reached out to me the other day nice. and I was like, I, I, so, so, you know, to, to a certain extent, it's just, uh, finding me on LinkedIn's one way or another, but at the, at the same time, it's kind of interesting to see how even just a little bit of effort from somebody my age, like kind of, it kind of reflects in the, uh, availability they have in terms of jobs. I, I know a lot of friends of mine who are like, man, I've been, I've just been searching and searching and searching. I don't have any opportunities at all. Like, you know, as I think to a certain, to a certain point, uh, specifically for my age demographic, I think, uh, there's a little bit of a, a feeling of, you know, why aren't they doing more? And I think just showing a little bit of effort, even just coming on this podcast every Friday, I think is just uh, a little bit of effort. Yeah. Just a little bit of effort. <laughs> We Obviously could, we could use a little bit more effort, though. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the, the point is, I mean, the, yeah, it's funny. But um, the, I think the point is that, um, and, and this is something that I, I, I've given a couple talks on. I'm doing another one this weekend. It doesn't take a lot to to establish brand. Um, right. And it, it doesn't take a lot to make a productive network. I think people are kind of lost as to how to do it. Um, and, and so they kind of get caught up in dumb stuff. Like, you know, they start chasing influencers and, you know, I need a connection with this person with, you know, 50,000 followers or, um, 
or they they start going open networker and just go to homepage and go connect 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 and you know just have meaningless connections so as to have a big number um but but I think you know to do it right or even to do it wrong it doesn't it doesn't take a ton of effort um and hunter I you know I hear people all the time they come to me or they just kind of moan you know into the stratosphere about I'm qualified why why can't I find work and first thing I do is click on their profile. And it's like, all right, any probably there's five things that I look for. And most of the people that say I can't find work might have one of them. Um, and so it's like, do you have a complete profile? Nope. Like their banner picture is like gray. It's like the but, default, right. the default, yeah. you know, and you just, you're just giving up real estate. How long does it take to download and, and a banner picture and upload it to your profile? Two minutes? It took me about you, about two minutes, yeah. Yeah. You can literally Google like, you know, data analytics uh, LinkedIn banner picture and a hundred options will come up and they're all right. good. Um, and so, you know, just simple stuff like that. It's, that's a two minute effort to, to write your own summary section. I mean, to do a, a passable job might take you half an hour. To do a great job you know, a couple hours if you, if you revise it and have somebody else edit it for you. But um, I mean, that's huge. That's, that's what the search engines look for. Um, and then, you know, all of that stuff from that down to just networking with the right people, you know, go, go look for hiring managers, go look for people that, that currently hold the job that you want or are like one level above the job that you want. If you want to be an entry-level data scientist, go to your target companies. You want to work at Red Hat in North Carolina, Red Hat, huge, like great company to work for. You go to go search Red Hat on LinkedIn and, and look for who's a lead data scientist there. Um, and especially look for people that engage on LinkedIn that, you know, they're likely to respond to you. Go, go network with that person. Um, make it personal. And, you know, so really it's, it's the profile, the network, creating content, which is huge. I mean, yeah. just pe- people just get on LinkedIn and they're silent. Um, that's was, just that's the wrong that answer. Saying, it's not it, hard. Was it you that was saying LinkedIn is a content poor social media site? Yep. So yeah, something like I don't. Um, yeah, I don't have the, all the stats, but it's it's something like ninety five percent of active LinkedIn users. So like people that actually get on LinkedIn somewhat regularly, ninety five percent of them don't don't produce any content. Um, or if they do, it's it's like, you know, just easy button, you know, share somebody else's content, right. which, you know, there's nothing you got to create. Um, but yeah, so it's the it's the polar opposite of basically all the other social media platforms. There's nobody. There are many people on Facebook that are just on Facebook to like watch other people. Everybody on Facebook is, you know, showing you pictures of their dinner and uh, and their perfect Ranting family and all that stuff. <laughs> You, well, yeah, ranting about politics or, you know, social events or, yeah, the same thing. Twitter, Twitter is a freaking morass. I've quit Twitter pretty much permanently. I'll okay. go on during football games just to hear what people are saying about, about the Browns and the Buckeyes, but that's it. So what's funny is that what we, we Al, you and I were talking about this off air of like, mm. we've pivoted this podcast like two or three times since we have. Um, kind of partnered on this and like what we're doing now with the um, live streaming lecture is 
we're giving you like some free something to learn for free. And then on Thursday with my class, we're doing this hashtag GC analytics. So you have something to watch and we're encouraging people to like either take a screenshot or just write about what you've learned. I think, cause I think that people are just like, well, I have no idea where to start with content yeah. creation. So like what we're trying to do is trying to build that community and culture of, 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 of allowing people to, I don't know, I guess feel empowered or at least have some kind of guidance of like, it's really just putting training wheels on. Cause like once they get up and they start doing it, I think it, it, your creative creativity just starts firing off. And you start coming up with ideas. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it, it's just a question of being courageous and being kind of unafraid to fail. Um, right. Cause I mean, I look back at stuff that I posted on LinkedIn and I really started about a year ago and the, the stuff I posted on LinkedIn to include the stuff that I posted for the analytics job page it's, it's cringeworthy. It's, uh, you know, I was putting stuff out there that was just dumb. And I mean, not, not all of it. There was some good stuff there, but it was just, you know, the discovery learning was massive. And you just got to, you just got to fail fast and, you know, get, get out there, put some stuff out there. Just, I mean, the only thing you can't recover from is saying something like patently offensive. But I mean, LinkedIn's not the place for that anyway. If you steer clear yeah. of kind of third rail subjects, and keep it professional and and or personal on a you know unacceptable subjects. If you're if you're talking about your hobbies, like I post pictures of you know my wife and I are training for a big hike on Veterans Day. Um, I occasionally post pictures of us you know out there sweaty you know backpacks on and all that all that sort of stuff. You know that's great. People love that and it, and it humanizes you. You're not you're not a slave to the grind. You're not just a worker bee. You know, you're a real person too, and that informs your your professionalism and your employability. What's interesting though is like you, you, when you took over the um, the LinkedIn page, you doubled it in the first month. So you yep. even like being cringeworthy and like failing quote, quote on quotations, you're still having major traction. So I mean that that is a signal in that LinkedIn is so hungry for content. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's just yeah. producing, like if you produce daily content, hey, shoot these here. Um, if you produce daily content, either as a person or as an organizational page, which was an experiment for me, because when you asked me to take it over, I was like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to do the same thing that worked for me personally. Um, and what worked for me personally was just just put something out every day and try to make it something that, you know, requires some effort. It's not It's not a share. It's not a you know, you can do funny memes every once in a while, but you know, you shouldn't be like memeing it up every day um, <laughs> and have that be all you put out. Otherwise people will tune you out pretty quickly. Unless they're like, that's actually what people say memes. about me. They say that I'm me- I meme it up every day. So I take <laughs> okay. a little bit of offense to that. <laughs> if it's working for you, I, I don't know. I don't see it working for people. So, um, but, but yeah, like original content, you can you can kind of poach other people's stuff if you're like screenshotting it and then talking about it, like what it means to you and your interpretation. That counts as original content. But uh, yeah, if you just click the share button and, and throw a hashtag on it, you're not you're not accomplishing anything. And so that that held true for you know for my personal brand. It holds true for for the page as well. I couldn't you know if we we took the page every once in a while. I think we shared a post or two, and it was just it was like a tree falling in the forest. It's just useless. So you got to have an original voice. Um, But the thing is like, you're not, you don't have to be like Pablo Picasso. Like you can be, you can be an original voice just like a hundred thousand other people out there. 
But if you're the most original in your circle of friends, then it's going to resonate. Uh, so Natika was saying that, well, I mean, that's that's awesome that like not only are are, are you guys getting offers or, or well, I mean, Al, you've already got the job. Hunter, you got one more year left of school, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am very, very confident that you're going to get a killer job upon graduation. But also, our fans are too that are actively participating. So, uh, if you guys are watching this, go connect with Natika. She's got, she had what two offers from fan companies, and I mean, that's that's just huge right there. Sorry, we've been. Just want to be a software developer. All right, and then also we've got Stony chiming in here. So he's saying it's important to engage with multiple prospects. I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, what do you, what do you guys think? As far as jobs, yeah. So uh, we're going yeah. a little bit up in the chat log, um, but yeah. So we we were talking about. Um, I think we were talking about how you had multiple offers and you can essentially leverage them against each other to make yeah. more money. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was like, you know, I was, I've never negotiated uh, a salary before. I've never no- negotiated really a contract for anything. Um, and so most military members are, are pretty afraid of doing that because you just come out, you come out of an organization that has a set salary for everyone. And the only thing you do to, to change your salary is, you know, other than a couple of specialized certifications you can get, you, you get promoted. Um, and the, the qualifications for promotion are known and, and very clear. And you get promoted, you make the money for that next rank. That's that's just how it is. Um, and so getting out, especially after a long time in the military and, and now having to say, I am worth X dollars to an employer um, and not really having much of a frame of reference. You can use Glassdoor and, you know, some, some ways to find out, but not really having a huge frame of reference for what your worth is. And especially because you, you kind of feel like a unicorn most places because, you know, what, what does it add to your worth that you've served 20 years in, in the military at anything? Um, you know, you develop a lot of soft skills that are, that are marketable if you do it the right way, but, you know, negotiating a salary is a tremendously intimidating thing. And I would say that I didn't negotiate at all. I just, you know, I had three companies that wanted me and I just kept telling them, Hey, you know, company a just, just raised their offer to this dollar figure. Do with that as thou wilt. I never said, Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking it in one hour. If you don't stop it. But, Wait, did you, did you say it like a 1600 medieval accent? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. As thou wilt. Is that like an edgy uh, negotiation tactic? I haven't heard of that one. Maybe. Could be. <laughs> well, I always kept thinking back to, I still haven't read the book that Alex Ma recommended, but I really loved his, um, his kind of assistant lacrosse coach where he just repeated the last word that you said it, with a, with a rise in with a question. Yeah. Like a question. <laughs> and so it like got you to keep talking. And then he explained it five minutes later. It's like, Oh wow. That, that, that was really effective. I didn't even notice he was doing that. Um, but he would just kind of look quizzical and repeat like the last part of the sentence. And, and you would be like, well, it's, it's like this, 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 and this. And like, yeah, I imagine that would work. So yeah, uh, no. All I did was was tell them, "Hey, I'm still I'm still considering my options," which was true. That wasn't a negotiating tactic. It was just I legitimately couldn't figure out which job I wanted to take, and I just kept telling them, "Hey, this, you know, this company has raised their offer to this, and this company's and, and and the final offer was, you know, it wasn't anything that was like out of my league." 
Um, and in fact, I, I had people advising me that said, Oh, well, you, you know, you're worth much more than this. So nobody knows, you know, outside of you. And, and a lot of it depends on what the company can afford. Cause I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a big secret. I, I talked to, to Maven about doing, uh, something somewhat similar than to, you know, what I was doing for analytics job on a paid basis, there would have been a lot more to it, you know, writing copy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the end of the day, I told them what my, uh, my salary ask was, and they said, we can't fit that in our budget. Hey, you know, all good, you know, best of luck to you. Um, so some of it is just, I have no doubt that what I was asking, I could have brought that much value and more to the organization. They just didn't, couldn't, couldn't afford it at that time. Right. Value is so interesting because you've, you've been hugely valuable to uh, the podcast and everything we're doing, but we're just so early, like we're in an infancy stage of our, our startup to where like you can drive a huge amount of traffic to our learn.silvertone platform but we just don't have the mechanism to monetize yet. Yeah. So, you know, maybe six months or a year from now, I can reach back out to you and be like, yeah, this is worth a hundred thousand dollars to us. And we could totally monetize all yeah. the traffic. So value is extremely context dependent. And I mean, to parallel it to consulting, if I'm charging 250 an hour to a, a company that makes this is doing a million in revenue is a lot, but if they're doing yeah. 12 billion in revenue, all of a sudden I can have a huge impact. So yep. yeah, it's 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 really interesting thinking through, you know, what is the for you and where can you have a big impact? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And and some of the the job offers were from uh, military contractors, which it's it's contract work at the company level. Um, it doesn't really affect the employees that much, um, unless you are like a, a short term temporary hire. But there was a lot of um, there was a lot of pull to that as far as it being sort of safe and secure, and you know we're never gonna the, 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 they have defense cuts and defense spending increases, but we're never gonna spend zero on defense. So right. you know the, those those were kind of attractive jobs, um, and it just just wound up not being the best opportunity. Okay, so we've got a, a newcomer to the chat. So I don't I don't think I've, I've um, seen Sahar before. So um, he wants your he wants you to weigh in. Should he start small or aim big? Um, so what what's your what's your take on a big company versus a small company? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. 
So I actually kind of started skirting that subject, uh, just talking about the, the offers that I turned down. But it's uh, I think that really depends on your acceptance of risk. And mm-hmm. I mean, with a smaller company there, is it, is it an early stage startup? Like, where are they in their life cycle? And how stable is that company? So that's one consideration. I didn't um, I didn't have job offers from any other than talking to Maven, which, you know, is a, you know, it is a startup, but it's kind of mature at this point. Um, I didn't really have job offers from startups. So that wasn't much of a consideration, like the stability of the company or you getting stock options, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's your, your acceptance of risk. And the other thing you have to consider is your mobility within the organization. There was one job offer that I, turned down in part because it was a smaller company and I didn't know that there was going to be an opportunity for me to, to upskill as much and then compete internally for higher level jobs than uh, the one I was being hired into. And so, and especially, you know, kind of being locked down to the coastal Carolina area um, with, with kind of limited opportunities. If the, if the company doesn't have a big presence right here or remote, um, then I'm limited as to what what kind of internal mobility I can have, unless I want to move to their, you know, their hub or their headquarters. So, yeah, that was a big consideration for me. Yeah, he is. I'm not even wearing his t-shirt today. <laughs> well, good. I give it. A, I give it a rest for a bit. He started making fun of me for wearing it too much. He's, he's like, you're gonna, you're gonna start looking like a hobo. You gotta wash that thing. So, okay. So, thing so, t-shirt. so I'm gonna pick out a specific word that you said skills which where are you at with skills what's your thought are you because you, you mentioned upskilling in a job are do you have skills are you unskilled sorry i had to pull this one <laughs> will be honey oh <laughs> wait how can you i didn't know you can both of you guys control this now you just threw me off <laughs> i don't know you cool. well i think you gave me like admin privileges so uh oh that's right go. Okay. Yeah, I've got a call with uh, um, StreamYard for business next week. I would say that uh, in my defense, I spend all of my paychecks on my life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so skills. Are you freaking out that you don't have the skills or do you feel like what you're going to be doing immediately, you've kind of got a wrap, like your hand, your head wrapped around? So I have perpetual uh, imposter syndrome, like pretty much everyone else in data other than you. Um, who, who has, you, you got to figure out a name for that. I know it's delusions of grandeur is, is pretty good, especially because Han Solo used that. So I, I hung out with Ryan yesterday and he was ripping yeah. on me for the intro sequence. He was like, you know, like companies build like intro sequence about their life. You do it for your own life. <laughs> it's like, you, you're right. That's just how I see the world. So, I, so not, not to get totally off topic, but who, whose decision was the suspenders? The world wants to know. I think it was uh, just popular vote. Everyone was telling me. All the students okay, were like, no, I was totally my decision. <laughs> the suspenders. Yeah, blame the students. Blame the students. Yeah. Oh, the, specifically the students at High Point. They love the suspenders. Wow. Yeah. Also, they liked it when I had my hair down. Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. That was, uh, that was a new thing. Anyway, okay. What, what were we talking about before? Skills. Imposter syndrome and skills. And kind of the other yeah. There. So... And that's one of the things that I really struggled with 
over the last nine months to a year, not only, so when you initially asked me um, to, to take over the LinkedIn page, I, yeah, I wasn't sold on it at first. I mean, I think I, I thought about it overnight and talked about it with the wife and, and uh, I thought about saying no, because I didn't want to, I wanted to devote more time to skills building. And that's what, you know, I had a, a mentor through a, a military program and, you know, I was looking at like, hey, might, might do some like kind of uh, part-time boot camps um, or, or something of that nature to where, I, you know, I was still working a ton during the day. So that was, you know, almost overwhelming workload at work. And then, um, you know, I was looking at, okay, I really need to master the time Python and SQL and R and, you know, God knows what else, Amazon Web Services. And um, so... I was a bit intimidated and then I said, okay, I'm already, I'm already taking up some time producing my own content every day. And now I'm going to, you know, double that. But actually it wound up being, I, for, for a long time, I was spending much more time doing analytics job content than I was my own. But, um, mm, so well, it's just it, everything kind of snowballed and it was just like, well, if we, if we did this thing on the events, then that would get more people into the, the, the live chats. And if we did this thing, if we did that thing and everything was like kind of more and more and more time. Um, so that's why I had to really dial it back when I started doing the Google uh, internships. It's like, I can't, can't do all of this anymore. But, um, but that's its own story. So, but yeah, I considered saying no because I was like, I really need to devote the bulk of my time. And at the time I was like, well, I've got, I've got enough connections and I've got enough irons in the fire with you know the different programs that I'm working on the transition and what's up Shashank? And um and so I was like, I don't know that I have the the time or the bandwidth to devote to this. Um and I think I wound up next day I was like, well let's let's see where this goes. And at the time we were talking about doing it for a month. So I mean I, I don't know um, so that's because you just got done with the, <laughs> Yeah. I was well, like yeah, here just because you just got done with your students doing the email campaign. Um, and so it was like, right. Hey, you want to take this over for a month? And I'm like, you know, that it was December 1st and I was like, okay, we'll do it for the month of December. And then, you know, next year I knew you had some, some different things you were thinking about doing. And I'm like, well, this might be interesting. Let's see what we can do with this. And so I had in my mind, the kind of success threshold that your students had where they, you know, they increased like the click through rate on the emails by like three to 5%. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if I can you know, bump up the, the attendance rate at live chats or, you know, the followers by, you know, something like that manageable five, 10%. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of write that up with some little nifty graphs, which I still have never done, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, call it a project, um, which was kind of what I bought off on in the first place. Like I'll do this for December. Well then, you know, when we started doing, when we did show us your data, that was like a, a content initiative that went through Christmas and New Year's and, and kind of snowballed and everybody loved it. And, you know, we we're just meeting cool people. I mean, I expanded my network drastically over that, which is hilarious because I, you know, came on the show the first point to talk about how much I had expanded my network in like the first month or two I was on LinkedIn. Right. And then that, like those content initiatives, you know, it spilled over onto my page. 
um, because yeah, we just didn't have room on the on the company page, and I had more followers at the time. So it was like, well, if I if I blast these out, more people will see it. Um, right. We well, I saw well. that the 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 um, podcast page was a conduit for you to grow, and then mm-hmm. you did exactly that because yeah, then you, you have concrete stories that you can tell. So yeah. what's funny is we talk about this phrase of like hard skills get you to the door. Soft skills get you through the door. I'm starting to double think that or starting to question that a little bit. Double um, think. What is it? Is that 1984? Or that's double speak. That's, that's double speak. Double speak. Wrong thing. Wrong thing. Well, because he, he read it freaking three years ago. Oh, probably. that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they make us read it. You know, it's probably, what is it, like 15 years ago for you and like 30 years ago for me? So, yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. But, Okay. So what, what I saw with Molly, so get, getting Molly that entry-level data science job, she had zero of the skills needed. Like she didn't know how to code. Yeah. But what's funny is that what got her the job was that she told them a story about how she looked up on YouTube how to change her own brakes on her car. Mm-hmm. And it showed that she has the resourcefulness to learn. And I think that it's a poor allocation of your, your time and energy and resources to take a bunch of courses. Because you're not really going to supercharge your learning until you get into a job and you have a conduit. So like you learning about social media and how social media and, or marketing analytics works, you had something to apply your theories to and test. And quickly, yep. like like we just were mentioning, like fail quickly. I think I guess that was before we hit record. But you you develop a skill set through trial and error and like hard learn lessons. Like you, you yep. fail until you succeed. Yep. Um, and I think that is a much more effective way of learning than just watching online content or taking a course. Absolutely. And I think the, I mean, the big thing is immediate reinforcement. And that's why I like seeing the, the sort of e-learning platforms that are, that are coming out right now, like yours, like Andrew Smith's um, is, you know, learn a skill, apply that skill immediately. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how you learned. I mean, I always harken back to, like learning math or learning English in high school and something that was kind of, you know, learn a skill, apply it immediately, do homework that night, iterate, you know, 10, 15, 20 times. And then that's hammered into your brain. That's, you know, it's kind of unsexy now. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of money and energy being put into all of these alternative uh, education methods but seriously, that's what, when I look for a course to take and, and w- what I want, what helps me learn is I want a model like that. Teach me a skill through video, reading, whatever, and then have me iterate multiple times immediately afterwards. And then that's, that's a learned skill. That's hammered home. Um, yeah. Right. If your if your course is like nothing but video or nothing, and then it's just, you know, multiple choice tests at the end. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough sledding. <laughs> and then if you're going to teach me five skills over the course of a month or more, and then at the end say do a project, eh, that, that's, that's not going to work well. Right. So I think what like what we've kind of come up with, and you're the one who pioneered this idea, by the way, of having people post on LinkedIn and then we give feedback to them. Yeah. I don't know how much this is going to scale, but for example, in our the Greensboro College lecture from earlier um, this week, we had one of the students look at my Udemy feedback. So it's real feedback data. I just took yeah. out all the private information, but it's 4,500 reviews of my mm-hmm. courses on there. 
Um, so you have a real data source and then we were teaching them like pivot charts and tables. So you got one to see one of the students like work through it. And I kind of, um, I kind of played the Obi-Wan Kenobi character of like just <laughs> guiding him and like, not, not telling him the answers, but like, uh, Give me the whole Socratic method. The Socratic, like, oh, well, that's interesting. Why did you do that? Um, And then the people could follow along, download the data source, which we, I got to get on Ryan about getting the the sign-up link so that they could get an email of the raw data source. Um, But yeah, so like get a raw data source, work on it, post it to LinkedIn, and then have people comment. Because I think it's kind of like crowdsourcing your education. Because, you know, like people are, are, and it's an opportunity for them to show up and get, you know, a signal on, on LinkedIn as well. And it's, yeah. you know, it's communal. I mean, it's, it seems pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we talked about this at the time. Anything that gets them to, uh, to you know, get out, lean out over their skis and get content out there and just, just get over that initial fear that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sound stupid or I'm going to have a typo out there or, you know, people are going to make fun of me. It's, you know, the literally the worst thing that can happen with your content on LinkedIn, again, unless you say something like patently offensive is nobody hears it. Um, and that you can, you can figure that out and rectify it pretty darn quickly. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the worst case scenario. It's like you put some effort into a piece of content and it gets no engagement. Oh, shucks. You, you can fix it tomorrow. Hell, you can cut and paste the same post. You know, don't do it the next day because the algorithm flags that. But, you know, take that same post if it was worthwhile content and post it a week later um, and even point out like, hey, I posted this last week and nobody saw it. Uh, you know, click like if you can see this. Um, you know, I've, I've done that. That's uh, <laughs> you kind of dare people into into engaging on your post. I mean, I remember the, one of the first big hits I had. It was big for me at the time, but um it was just, I had a bunch of links in it. I knew that having a crap ton of links in your post tends to depress uh, your circulation because if they don't respond, you have to have like more than 50% of them respond within an hour or two. Otherwise your uh, your distribution gets gets shut down okay. um, because it, it, it picks it up as spam. Like, you know, cause you got people that, that tag a hundred people in one post and you know, okay. they're just spamming people. It's not people that want to respond to them. So I tagged a bunch of organizational pages and I was just talking about all the programs that I was using through the Marine Corps to transition out. And I knew that most of these organizational pages, they don't have people kind of manning them all the time. Um, you know, you're lucky if you get a response from them like once a week, maybe. So I just announced it like the tagline on the post was like the LinkedIn algorithm is going to crush this post. And <laughs> I may have typed it in all caps, um, trying, trying that whole trick, but it got so many people to respond and it was valuable content and I knew it was, but you know, I was like, well, I really want to tag all these assets so that other service members will see this post and then be able to just kind of click through it. Cause it, it doesn't work as well if you put those into, into comments, it, it, it works okay. But you know, people like to look at the post and say, Oh, you, you used American corporate partners. Look, it's hyperlinked, and you can click straight through to their LinkedIn page, and from there, their their website. Um, but you know, American Corporate Partners doesn't have a, a staffer, a social media manager, you know, on, on call all the time, responding to their hits that they get on LinkedIn. So you put that tag in there after you know a few hours or a day, nobody's responded to it. The algorithm 
kind of marks your post as spam unless it's getting like crazy engagement in the comments. Mm. Well, because of how I sort of teased it out and, you know, and sort of dared people to engage on it, they did. And so the, the post did really well. Michael, welcome. <laughs> so Michael is saying, Albert, why don't you make a class about LinkedIn and sharing your work? You have so much insight. Um, you could use examples. Yeah, I mean, feel, feel free to use the examples from uh, the um, podcast page. Yeah, absolutely. So I have, <laughs> it's not in any formal thing where like, you know, I've pitched it to, to LinkedIn Learning or anything like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I've evolved kind of some of the ideas that like in my first appearance on the show, just, you know, just me sitting there going, hey, here's the here's the things I'm doing to to get more connections. And then was two, three months later, came on and, you know, taught the class to your students. And I had a, a PowerPoint that I put together. Well, I've since taken that PowerPoint, I did, I beefed it up, put it on steroids for a talk to an organization called ISACA, which is a worldwide business, something, something organization, but it was the, the chapter in Oman that invited me to, to talk to them. So wow. I, I made that class into a much more uh, kind of in-depth class um, that I gave to them, then um, actually adapted it for a video series um, for a, a website called TechVed, um, which should be coming out later this month. And I'm no, this say, is news. I haven't heard of this. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I did it like a couple of weeks ago and um, had, had sent the videos to them and hadn't really heard from them. They do like all the editing and they add graphics and stuff like that, which is great because I know jack about that stuff. Um, but, you know, I just recorded the videos with the content and it's like five, five, 10 minute videos. And now what I what I adapted for those videos is now kind of the backbone of the class that I deliver. And then there's um, I've got a um, uh, it's called Prius. I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, which is a, a tech expo headed by an Indian YouTuber named Gaurav Sharma, um, which God knows if I'm pronouncing that right. But anyway, um, I've, I've never talked to the man, so I, I haven't had the chance to ask him if I'm saying his name properly. Um but anyway, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. That's this weekend. Of course, it's IST time, so they it's over their weekend. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, which, of course, Eastern Standard Time is midnight to 4 in the morning. Um, so they told me to pick a, the time slot that works for me. So I'm going 3.30 on Sunday morning if you all want to tune in live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, good time. All right. But okay. anyways, I had to trim it down to 30 minutes. So that class does exist, Michael, in in many, many drafts and forms now. Um, so yeah, but it's you know the same the same basic concepts are what I've been talking about here. I mean, there's just yeah, there's from what I see, there's five things that you kind of need to do. And I'll, and some of those things I actually learned from from you, John David, from Michael. Um, it's a lot of stuff that I've cobbled together. You know, it's from personal experience as well. Um, Wait, what are the five yeah, um, So it's it's PNC PB, um, and the the menu devices. Yes, um, technically that's an initialism, but anyway. Oh. Um, yeah. Did you get that, Hunter? Yeah, I got it. You savvy on initialism and acronym. Okay, good. That's that's kind of a litmus test for me. Um, so anyway, it is uh, a complete profile. 
uh, targeted networking, content creation, portfolio, thank you, Michael Glarnick, for teaching me that, and a strategic brand that ties it all together. And so really, it's if you go back to, um, what was it, January, when I, I came to talk to your students, that was kind of the genesis for that there. And that's where I kind of put some of those concepts together that, you know, all of these things are iterative. It's not step one, then step right. two, then step three. You should kind of go in that order. Um, so, you know, before you start anything else, you should complete your LinkedIn profile and, and probably have a resume too, but that's not, not hundred percent necessary, but fixing your LinkedIn profile or, or updating or upgrading it never stops. So, I mean, I, I give 10 points on the LinkedIn profile that, you know, if you get these 10 things, you've got enough to, to then go and, and network professionally and people can come to your LinkedIn profile. And they're not going to go, um, you know, why, why isn't he finished this? Um, and it's, you know, stuff that I talked to uh, Ben Knuff about and, and Shay and all of those guys last year. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was something I've kind of refined over time, but it's, there's sub points and kind of anecdotes and little stories that I've built up over time and, and in each point. But yeah, I mean, the, the, my initial blush at portfolio was listening to Michael Glarnick's first appearance on the show. And then, when he came back, that was one of the first ones that um, I don't think I wasn't on camera yet. Yeah, because I think that was I was the first guest on season two. And I you think were, he yeah. was I think he was the week after. Um, so that's when we yeah. just just started working together on the show. So before that, I'd only done um, the LinkedIn site. Yeah, I remember examining um, your uh, video in class. We actually yeah. went over the <laughs> analytics for it. Pretty impressive awesome. stuff. <laughs> so funny story. Um, Robin Hunt and, uh, you know, she helps with that initiative, uh, Innovate Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And they help primarily um, like underprivileged people or people that, you know, kind of dropped out of high school, um, you know, single moms, kind of underemployable populations. Um that are, that are trying to upskill usually later in life, uh, but some of them are, are college age. Um, and they just, they have a fantastic program and they've actually incorporated that video in their course. Wow. Um, and so they had me on a few months back, they had me on to talk to one of their cohorts and answer questions about it. So that was really cool. Speaking of that, you haven't met this year's Greensboro College cohort. Although I, I have, I've, other than just seeing the, what, the three that were on camera, uh, this yeah. Week, yeah. Well, this semester was a interesting one because I started. I taught the first day of class, then flew out to Santa Barbara the next day and was gone for a week. And now we're in week <laughs> <Yeah>. three. <laughs> but um, your boat trotter, man. That's well, in car, in car. I'm, I'm so tired right now, but I will say this: you need to come back on. I, I didn't even think about that. Of like, I'm like filling out the guest lectures. I need to have you back on to, to do. You tagged me on the post. I, I assumed that was, you know, kind of an informal invitation. I, I don't need anything engraved. Okay. Well, I got to get that. I got to get that schedule out, but okay. That's, that's awesome. All right. Hunter, you haven't talked in a while. What's, what's going on in your mind? <laughs> I'm just thinking about uh, how far it's, how far it's been since, uh, since I first started doing this thing, to be honest. I, I was thinking back to um, 
ever since ever since we brought up Albert, Albert's video, um, how how far this channel has come as a whole, and uh, I mean, I'm just uh, first of all, I'm touched, but second <laughs> of all, I'm I'm glad to be I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, I was actually looking at some of the. I was also looking at. I was not ignoring the chat. I was actually looking at some <laughs> of the questions in there as well. Um, and so, um, Albert, I, I, me, and the chat couldn't help but notice how good of a storyteller you are. I wondered if oh. you wanted to uh, speak a little bit to that and how, maybe how the uh, how the role of stor- storytelling works in uh, getting an analytics job. Yeah, um, I you know everybody loves to talk about themselves, so um, <laughs> I'm no exception. Um, yeah, I in, in, I think that's part of the that's part of not to to take it completely off of what you asked, but I mean as far as networking and getting people to engage and getting people, you have to be humble in how you approach people, and you ask them for their stories no matter what. Um, and so kind of ignore power dynamics in the relationship, um, you know, or who's the, who's the bigger social media cool guy. Um, if you ask people about themselves, they're, they're flattered. It's just, it's just a thing. And so, yeah, I think the, the, the Dale Carnegie expression that I always found corny until I started noticing and applying it in networking, which is, you know, to, to be interesting, be first, be interested, or, you know, there's a million different variations of it. God knows what he originally said. I've read the book, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a thing. Like if you want to connect with somebody, just ask them for their story. Um, and you can, you know, you can inject your observations as well, but I mean, you've got to, you've got to ask people to talk about themselves and then, and, and, you know, and they're flattered and then they're, and then they're engaged and they've got something invested. Um, mm-hmm. And then generally, unless they're, unless they're kind of a narcissistic tool, they'll, they'll ask you about yourself as well. But um, so it's not like you, you suddenly develop this one way relationship where you're just in receive mode. But um, yeah, I think as far as a skill telling stories, um, I, I was on the debate team in high school. So <laughs> Well, okay. I'm going to piggyback off that question because something me and Ryan were talking about. We were talking about you specifically uh, last night because I haven't seen Ryan in like two weeks because everything has been crazy and also his business is blown up. Um, we were talking about why you had such a smooth or successful transition. Because I mean, that's incredible to think that you had a bidding war for an entry-level position. I guess, well, I guess it's not. Is it entry-level? Because you... So, yeah, I mean, the, the position that I'm in now, it has has senior in the title. I'm not in charge of anybody, which is the way I wanted it. Um, right. But, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm on a team that is, doesn't have a, you know, as you might expect, coming out of the military, my, my definition of a rigid um, command or, or leadership structure is, is very different from the civilian world or, you know, a regular corporation. But... Um, the team that I'm on does not have a super rigid leadership structure where, you know, person A is in charge of these three minions and person B has their own little team and and they all kind of report to this bigger boss. I know that there are organizations like that out there. Amazon is, you know, famously very, very structured and very kind of repeatable, uh, more like the military, which is one of the reasons they target the military for recruitment. But um, 
Yeah, Analect is not is not a super rigid organizational structure, and but I don't have anyone working for me. Um, but the but senior is in the title, which I think is a you know kind of a, a salary thing. Um, so and, I guess and probably now. Yeah. Well, so but like, it's it, like you pivoted in industry, the, got into a bidding war, and landed a senior position that is probably paying you tens of thousand dollars more than you would if you know you yeah more than charity. yeah and so like, like junior analyst or something like that but right i mean this is mission success like this is yeah this is i mean i, I guess let me throw the question to you is this where you expected to be nine months ago no um where would you expect to be and where are you now um i expected i i kind of half expected that i was going to have to take a, a military contractor job, which would have, the two that I was offered were, um, one was actually titled as, as a data scientist. Um, and part of the issue with that, and that would have involved uh, leadership of a team. Part of the issue with that was I absolutely did not feel ready for that. And that was, I tried to look at that objectively and say, is this imposter syndrome or am I legitimately not ready for this? And I, I came up with the latter. Um, and I think that they were willing to accept the fact that I didn't have the laundry list of skills that they were asking for, or really like even many of the skills they were asking for because I had military experience and leadership experience and that they kind of needed that more. And they said, well, you're, you're qualified analyst, not a qualified data scientist, but you've got enough knowledge of the data stuff that, you know, with the leadership and, and organizational skills, um, we'll take it. That to me, uh, I mean, I foresaw myself panicking being in that position um, and mm -hmm. and trying to like overwhelming myself, trying to catch up uh, on the technical skills too fast. Yeah. Um, and, and then having, you know, having a full-time job with the leadership and organization and, and getting the projects where they need to be but also having like a full-time night job trying to upskill frantically. And it just wasn't what I wanted for myself um, in this first job. And so I, the, the other two jobs, I felt like I had more of an opportunity to, um, to learn at a, a more reasonable pace um, and, and upskill into a potential data science position down the road. If that's what I choose. Do you have a hard stop at one? Uh, no, not anymore. Okay. All right. So uh, Sony has a really thoughtful question that I want to, I want to bring in. Um, what opportunities do you have for learning and growth and will you seek mentorship externally and internally within the organization? I love this question because now we're getting into, all right, your foot's in the door. Now, where do you go? How do you navigate? Yeah. So awesome question. And it's almost as if I, I totally did not do this, but it's almost as if I queued Stoney up with this question because <laughs> I'll be honest with you. That was the number one reason that I chose the job with Analect um, was, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in the post the other day. This is a place where I can, uh, you know, I can learn and grow. Mm -hmm. And so they have, I mean, as far as learning platforms, I have, I've written them all down on a, a giant post-it note on the wall and it's almost full, um, both external to the organization and internal. There's just so many, um, they use so many platforms and they have so many uh, paid learning applications. It's like, I, I could barely scratch the surface of all of the classes and training opportunities that I have 
for you know Salesforce, Power BI, uh, Tableau, uh, Alteryx, and those are just the ones that I've found out about like in the first forty eight hours that um, you know that one of my bosses is like, hey, um, look into this and and you know start start working on these classes and this certification and you know and there's no there's no like great pressure. It's not like I need this done in in a month. But it's, you know, eventually you're going to have projects where you're working in Alteryx. We've got you an Alteryx license, which is like astronomically expensive, as I understand. Um, and they're like, and we have these these training platforms for you. Just go, go ahead and start in on them. Um, as far as as far as mentorship, I have just a stack of mentors external to the organization already that are, you know, they're, they're friends. Um, you know, Gan, you're one of them. Um, <laughs> And, you know, Michael's another one for sure. I've, I've leaned on him for advice. Matt, absolutely. Uh, Tom Ives, I called him up, you know, like midweek, I think while I was still in Greensboro, I had a, a Zoom call with Tom Ives and, and just said, hey, you're, you're the smartest guy I know with this stuff. And I feel like I, I was getting some advice from other people that was not necessarily self-serving, but it was, it was kind of, they, they knew a certain angle of it, but they didn't know like, the data industry. Right. Um, and so, so they were like, no, 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 you need to take this other job because, because, or you need to, you know, they were saying, oh no, explore this, you know, other opportunity that I didn't have a job offer with that I wasn't, you know, was interested in pursuing. But at the time it's like, I'm getting close to separation day. I've got three good job offers on the table, honestly, all of which were for more money than I originally uh, asked for. And, and so I was, I really took stock and just said, I have, I have three job offers for three jobs that in every way exceed the expectations that I had going into the job search. Um, so there's no wrong answer. There's just, all there is, is, is FOMO really. It's just, if I turn down the title data science position, will I regret that? If I, if I accept that one and it's, and it is an overwhelming job, will I regret not, not taking somewhere where I could learn at a more reasonable pace. Um, and so really that was, that was it. It was like this, this one thing in each job that I had a question about, uh, it, you know, am, am I going to regret that? So it was the, it was like the, the least worst. No, nah, that, that's not right. Um, but it was just, it was just weighing like, what is, what is the risk of each one? Because the upside on each one was was more or less identical. Other than, like I said, the smaller company, I there was a risk of kind of a growth cap, which I didn't want. So, yeah, and I mean, I can speak firsthand to the like mentor mental turmoil and suffering of being thrust into a situation and having to sink or swim. I mean, I spent three years yeah. in that space where I was selling projects that I had no idea how to pull off, and then I had to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. And that was, uh, I mean, there are upsides and downsides of that. So if, you're, mm -hmm. if your goal is that I want to become a competent coder, getting thrown into that data science job, you're either going to get washed out or you're going to learn at a super fast pace. Now, the cost of that is probably, you know, a little bit of sanity. Some, you're going to be sleep. You're not going to be sleeping well. You're going to be like waking up yeah. in the middle of the night, like with a phantom problem that you, you haven't even encountered yet. Um, but I mean, it, it sounds like you have a really solid head on your shoulders and may, part of that might oh. be just like, 
your your age like you've 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 seen a lot of things and you're not as in much of a hurry i mean that's like i mean we got we got yeah. a 20 20 year old here you know i mean these these this young man energy of like running around trying to get everything figured out all at once um i mean it's it yeah it could be yeah i mean do you think that that's would you agree to that yeah absolutely and it's um so i it, over 23 years i've i've coughed up so much time with my family um also, you know i'm just calling him old yeah i'm see. saying he's seasoned <laughs> experienced seasoned yeah that's, that's not a nice way of calling me old or anything <laughs> um so you know and not to not to kind of bring the vibe down but you know just this past week or two we've had you know with the situation in afghanistan i spent the entire year of 2014 in afghanistan and that was you know my kids were all little at the time you know my wife had a job and you know, that the family just went through like kind of panic for a solid year. And we were there and we were, you know, we're questioning what, what we had to do there in 2014. That's seven years ago now. So um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of emotions about that. And that really put a lot of things in perspective. Obviously that was post decision. Mm. Um, but that was, I mean, what you're talking about with having a job where you're kind of panicked all the time, you don't feel ready to do it. Um, one of my, I, I won't name the person, but one of my, uh, you know, mentor friends in data science and data analytics said, uh, take the job that scares you the most. Well, the one that scared me the most was, was the data science gig, but it was, you know, it wasn't for a good reason. It wasn't like, oh, I'm really going to learn quickly in this. Oh, I might fail. I mean, I'm not going to fail, but that's part of the problem is that, you know, I'll work myself to death in order to, to not fail. And I've lived that life for, you know, really as long as I've been an officer in the Marine Corps, it's just, you're constantly in situations where you're unready and, you know, you don't have the training or the resources or the time, most of all the time uh, to get things done. So what do you sacrifice? Time with family, sleep, you know, food, exercise what you know you you crush crush your family and you crush your health um and your you know especially your mental health in order to uh accomplish the mission and it was it was nothing wrong with the job itself so there was nothing wrong with what the company was offering me and i, I you know i don't don't fault them at all it was can i handle this job and and retain my sanity and and the answer i came up with was no um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a big part of driving me to something that I felt was more manageable and where they were a bit more realistic about, um, you know, the other, the, the two military contractor jobs, they were getting a military guy to do a military job. And so there's an expectation that I'm walking in the door and kind of ready to go. Once you get your, get your computer, get your email and, and get your systems up and running your, what we call a full up round. Um, and there was there was little to no expectation of that going to Analex because they're like he you know they know I'm coming into a whole new world, and so they also want some of the the soft skills, probably all of the soft skills that I bring to the table. But you know they're very realistic about hey that the tech skills are 
you know, the potential is there, the the foundation is there, but I can't walk in and run run all tricks. I can't run in and walk in and you know start putting together datarama dashboards to to the quality that they need. Um, I've got a steep learning curve there, and they respect it. So, so I've got thoughts here. Mm. I think that the rare skill set that you possess. So I, I told Ryan at the time I wouldn't tell you this. But now he's like, things have, have shifted because Ryan Forrest was going to hire you for fun guy. Yeah. Because he was so impressed that you could talk for an hour off the cuff about the Google Analytics certification. You could just make it up and it was smooth. Only an hour? Oh, I, can, I, think, I think the Isaka talk in Oman was like 90 minutes, man. Right. But, but I would say arguably there seems to be this fixation on hard skills. And hard skills yes. are just not that important. I mean, they're important. Let me rephrase. They're important, but they are not rare. What is rare is like leadership, effective communication, understanding the business acumen and how the hard skills plug into that. So yeah. if you, you've, you're you on that track now to where you could become an analytics manager, like Alex the Analyst just, became, just moved into management, that's six figures. That's quite a bit more money than yeah. senior analyst. And I don't know. I mean- He's going corporate. I, I crap on him every chance I get. <laughs> yeah, he needs to change his channel to Alex, the analytics manager, or the analyst yeah. manager. <laughs> I, I think I, I said something nastier. I said he should change it to Alex, the corporate stooge. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. But, yeah, no, I, I think that I, I, I'm glad that you have this perspective that you do, that you're not fixated on the hard skills. And also, too, you're not letting it, like, psych you out. Or at least you are putting on a brave face. Maybe that's the military yeah. experience. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, it's a realization that, you know, I'm, I'm keeping in perspective that it, it's very nice having a pension. Um, I will say that it's not enough, you know, it's not enough that I can go fishing every day and, and not work. Um, but it is nice to know that, Hey, if, if I get canned tomorrow, uh, I've, I've still got enough to keep the bills paid and the lights on. And right. um, while I have kind of a leisurely search for what's next. Um, and, and so that's reassuring, but there's the realization that, you know, you can't, there are people in the, in the military that kind of tread water, um, call them oxygen thieves sometimes, but they're, you know, they're well aware that it, it takes a monumental effort to get someone out of the Department of Defense unless they do something horrifying or, you know, commit a crime or something like that. Even then, it's pretty difficult. Um, so we have tons of tons of Marines. And I know I've seen tons of them in, in other services that are that are just kind of there, like collecting a paycheck and being useless. Um, I'm, I'm well aware. I was never one of those. I'm proud to say. I'm well aware that that's no longer an option. I mean, you've got to drive that it's a for-profit business. It needs to stay in business by making a continued profit. And the people that don't drive a profit are uh, expendable. So first, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit I, for sure. absolutely. There are water treaders in larger organizations. Oh, there are. I'm just saying it's a if whole lot easier to get rid of them. Oh, right. But I, I don't know. See that, that that's what like I took I had an internship at a twelve billion dollar company and mm. it was existentially depressing to me that some people it just seems like they don't do anything all day long and it like doesn't matter. Shall remain nameless, but it rhymes with Schmolvo. <laughs> I 
Uh, I, I plead the fifth here, but yeah. Um, yeah you forget it, I binge watched like every episode of the show before I came on, so <laughs> I, I know all your stories. Um, but yeah, so if you're at a bigger company, because the Department of Defense is like a massive, you know, it's a massive yeah. organization. The larger your company is, uh, the easier it is to kind of hide and just look busy. But if you're in a small startup okay. or even a, a small to medium-sized business, it's you're right. You have to drive value. Yeah. Or they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna fire you because they they can't they can't afford it in the way that a large company can. True. Well, that and I mean now now we're getting way off topic, but the bigger the company is, the more divisions they have that don't need to uh, to produce profit. Um, they may help the company in some other way. I mean. So somebody, when I was interning at Google, somebody estimated that that something like five percent of Google's employees actually drive, you know, like the vast majority of their profit, and that Google has whole divisions that that lose money, but it's just advantageous for Google to have them because they need a a presence in certain markets in order to to kind of be viable. Um, and it may be something that they want to expand later down the road, but that right now they're just, they get their butt kicked on that particular product or in that particular industry. Um, and they're fine with it because the, the, the advertising um, and data and search, all of that drives such monumental profit that, you know, they can absorb what would be overwhelming losses for, for a smaller company in other divisions. Um, you yeah. know, it's a really good concrete example of this. I just watched a video on like useless jobs on YouTube. Um, corporate lawyers, lawyers. like cor corporate oh, lawyers. Yeah. So like yeah. if you have an in-house lawyer team, you're not going to get sued, which means that the lawyers don't have a lot of work to do. But yeah. them just being a part of the organization wards off, you know, unnecessary lawsuits. So it's yeah, I mean, we're, you're right. We're going way down. <laughs> Yeah, oh, usually right. assured destruction. It's <laughs> right, like right. having a stockpile of nuclear weapons. You have right. them so you don't have to use them. But it sounds, it sounds like the, the position that you're in, uh, there's some pressure. There's some pressure to perform. And I, it sounds yeah. like you want that. Like yeah, it's you, It's you stress, not distress. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Um, well, we've been rattling on for an hour and 15 minutes. Do you have – what's – do you have any closing thoughts on what were the keys to your success in this transition? Um, I think just, uh, you know, just being courageous and not just not worrying about it um, and, and not leaving things to the last minute. I mean, if you, if you can lean forward and fail fast, just, just, uh, you know, make your mistakes early you know, gain your network before you need to leverage your network. And, you know, you, you'll remove the sting of, you know, hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but you have a job for me. Um, you, that just doesn't work. Um, but what does work is, you, you know, you're out there talking and engaging, you're being a good person. Um, you know, hey, tonight, artists of data science. Um, you know, got an opportunity through just just going on artists of data science and, you know, swallowing my pride and submitting a question and, and talking to amazing professionals. And then down the road, um, one of them who shall remain nameless, but was just like, hey, I got this job prospect for you um, just out of the blue. And it was 
it, and I just trace it back to, I went on artists of data science. I watched a couple of times. I, I you know, I screwed up my courage. I, I sent in a question. Harpreet called on me to answer some questions, which were like super pedestrian, you know, like <laughs> what's the difference between data science and data analytics? He's like, Al, let's go to you. <laughs> like, Hey, you find the question I can contribute to, I think. Um, you know, after listening to Tom Ives wax poetic about, you know, advanced, like, you know, distributions and, and uh, you know, his, his favorite bell curves and stuff like that. Um, I love Tom Ives. But anyway, <laughs> so I think it's just, you know, you see so few people in there and you see so few people putting out any content on LinkedIn or they put out content once or twice and then they're like, oh, that was scary. I'm never doing that again. Um, and And it's just there's all these free resources for people. Um, right. And there's all these, and you're kind of free, you know, social media, you're paying by your advertising eyeballs. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. Just, just take advantage. You can accomplish so much if you just take advantage of the things out there that are free, um, that just require time and energy and attention. And, I think that's just, that's the difference between the people that are coming out saying, I'm a job, got an opportunity. And the people that are, you know, kind of crying out in the desert and saying, I can't find, uh, I can't find an opportunity because like nine times out of 10, those people are qualified. Um, you know, you don't, I don't get questions from people saying, how do I get into data, data analytics? And I look at their profile and say, well, you don't have a college degree. Go, go, go study. Like that doesn't happen. If you don't have a college degree, you know, you're not qualified. If you don't, you know, if you don't have the, the, the kind of fundamental stack of technical skills, like some math knowledge, some stats knowledge, some, if you don't at least have the baseline ingredients, you're not sitting there saying, Hey, I really want to get into data analytics. How do I do that? Well, you should, you should start studying. Um, those people aren't out there. The people that ask are qualified. But the things that they're lacking are the things that I talk about, you know, get get out there, network and engage, you know, be mindful of your brand and just, you know, just kind of get over your uh, your initial fears and and start putting yourself out there. And once people know you as, you know, a good person and someone that's interested they're going to extend you opportunities. You've been a part of platforming, you know, not just me, but, you know, multiple people, you know, half of them are in this chat and it's just, you know, what's the common denominator. It's not, they're not all 20 plus year Marine veterans. Um, you know, some of them don't have a master's degree. There's not that they don't have these wall of qualifications to get in the door at how to get an analytics job. You, you extended me an opportunity because I expressed interest and I started talking to you and I, you know, I was doing something kind of, you know, unique and interesting. Mm -hmm. Other people have approached you and approached me and and come in and got an opportunity from this channel. That And the only common denominator is their interest and their energy. Wait, can um, I break down just why I think, because I, 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 it just kind of clicked in my head. Um, sure. Why I think that you have had so much success in such a limited amount of time. Why? Is that so? I got an email. I get emails all the time, and people say, "Hey, I want your help. Here's my CV or here's my resume." What you said was fundamentally different. You said, "Hey, you did an amazing job with this podcast. I've already learned so much. I'm gonna go watch every single episode." 
Yeah. I feel invested in the success of this podcast. Let me know how I can help you. Yeah. That, which is a fundamentally different message. It is, I, it's like, a, I want to help. You've already helped me. I want to thank you. I want to show gratitude. Let me get back to you. And that, as opposed to, oh, here, do this for me. I, I don't think people realize how that comes off, especially to someone who has so many inbound messages every single day. Yeah. And, and I think that just goes back to what we talked about earlier that, you know, if you, if you approach people with humility Mm -hmm. um, and because it's, it's kind of a fundamentally selfish act to come to somebody, you know, especially if it's in that first message, but even right after you connect and say, Hey, how how do I get into data science? Well, we'll stop. Now you're demanding my time. Right. Um, And now I've got to sit here and think, you know, and I don't anymore. I usually just say, hey, binge watch this uh, this YouTube channel. Right. Start there. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's that's a demand. That's a fundamentally selfish act. You're not you're not starting a, a relationship with someone as, you know, tell me about yourself or, or what are you doing or, you know, or, you know, something that's that is engaging them and showing interest in them. You're saying, hey, you need to take interest in me. Tell me how to how to shape my career or you know, should I study R or Python or, you know, whatever, but it's, you know, t- take time to devote to me instead of, I would like to take time to devote to you. And so that's why I say, if you approach everything with, with humility, regardless of what, what position you're in within that, uh, within that relationship, then, you know, then you just get kind of the good dude, good gal factor and people want to help you. Um, yeah, I think that just goes a long way. And that that really was part of the common thread in all of my opportunities was just, you know, I didn't I didn't have people up with the the Matt Bratton, yo, 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 give me a job. Um, it was um, a, a, another mentor of mine said, uh, if you ask for a job, you're going to get advice. If you ask for advice, you just might get a job. I, I took that to heart and I always I always ask for advice. Um you're also not desperate. I feel like a lot of these people are like, it seems like they're three days from being homeless. They're like, I yep. need, I need your help and I need it now, yeah. which is kind of repellent energy. Cause it's, it's very, and I don't mean to be mean that this is supposed to be constructive criticism. If you are listening to this and you, and you find yourself falling in this bucket of uh, it's, it's too, it's, it's kind of too, too late. It's like, you've already messed up and now you're pushing the burden of solving your problem onto me where what you've done exactly. Albert, is you are proactively solving your problem in a way that benefits the people around you. So it's like, you are the opposite of an inner energy vampire. You're like helping people. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. well, I mean, you're just like, and, and it's funny because me and Ryan were talking about like how charismatic you are. Like, it's just, there, there's some people and God bless them. There's, they are, they are tough to interact with. And if, if, if you find people being repelled by you, maybe, you know, I don't want to be overly harsh. Like just reflect and be like, but those people so often have no self-awareness. Right. So that's right. the thing. Like they never pick up on the fact that, you know, people start checking their watch and playing with their phone when they're talking. They, yeah, that's true. I get like overly conscious about that. I'm like, Oh, am I boring you? So, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Awesome. Well, let's close this thing out. Albert, it's been one hell of a journey, and I thank yes. you so much for all your time and energy. Like you've you've helped explode this podcast, and I'm I'm extremely grateful. And I wish you luck on your journey yeah. into the. Hey, thanks so much for the opportunity. I mean, truly, this 
the the work on the podcast came up in I'm pretty sure every um, every interview I did. Um, and so it was, you know, it was really cool. The, the stuff that we were able to accomplish together. Um, yeah, I, I, I really uh, treasure the opportunity and, and what I've gotten out of it. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Hunter, and thank you. You've been a champ. <laughs> I Well, let me say this too. I may not even be here right now if it wasn't for Al. Because I remember oh. coming in on like the second day of class after watching the first podcast episode. And I was like, I was like, professor, 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 I don't know how I was addressing you as professor. Did I say professor or did I just call you John? Um, how did you, yeah, you probably, it was professor. It's professor. It's I probably classroom. said professor Ariansen <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, man, this guy named Al already reached out to me. I've already got this new connection on LinkedIn. And he was like, oh yeah, it's Al, you know. So at that point, I think you were already considered part of the squad and <laughs> you made me feel part of the squad. And I, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for, uh, it wasn't for you. So awesome, man. And I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And also big thanks to everyone in the chat. Hell yeah. All right. Well, Al, we'll see you later. Indeed. I'll be back. All right. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Take care. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.